Well, we are going to continue in our time of worship with uh, today's scripture reading, which comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Uh, We will be reading the scripture from the ESV version of the Bible, and uh, those can be found uh, in the back of the the sanctuary. You can grab those on the way in, or feel free to go back there and grab one if you want to. Um, You can also look that up on your own. Uh, We will be projecting it behind us, but especially for those joining us at home, I know sometimes it's kind of hard to read the scripture. So again, it's Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And once you are ready to read the scripture, if you're joining us from home, you're welcome to do this as well. You definitely don't have to. But if you're joining us here in person, uh, if you could please stand as able for the reading of God's word. Philippians 3. Verses 12 through 17, may the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, uh, I I know I've been sharing, uh, for those of you who've joined us this summer, that I've been sharing things that uh, I I feel like uh, I need to be reminded of. Uh, They might might be somewhat basic truths, but things that maybe um, over time just kind of become either cliches or, you know, just in the the course of life, we just forget it, right? It it hasn't really pierced uh, into our souls, into our hearts. Um, and I think that's definitely true of today's message, but I also wanted to add, uh, over the next couple of weeks, I just want to share a, a few things that for me, it's not like an official statement of like what LGM is about. It's not our official purpose statement, but these are kind of clarifying thoughts for me. When I think about ministry, what is my goal? What, what, why am I still doing this? You know, what, 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 what do I think that God has been calling uh, me to do at LGM? And so uh, today's message is in many ways the way that I've learned to kind of think about my Christian journey, uh, but also kind of a clarifying thought for um, how, how I want to help uh, uh, lead LGM and, 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 you know, something that I think about a lot when it comes to doing ministry. And so um, th- this f- phrase, a long obedience in the same direction, comes from a book by Eugene Peterson. You guys might know him from uh, his paraphrase, a wonderful paraphrase called The Message that he wrote. That's what he's most famous for. Uh, but Eugene Peterson wrote this little book, uh, and, and I love this thought, this idea that the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. So what do we mean by that? I think it's very similar to that statement that we so often make uh, that life is a marathon, not a sprint. And so you guys know a sprint, right? It's a very short race. Uh, you can just kind of go all out, right? Because it's only going to last, uh, depending on how fast you are and how long it is, right? Like 10 to 20 seconds, whatever, right? So you don't have to worry about what's going to happen you know, 15 minutes down the line, an hour down the line, you just give it your all, right? You just, mm, right? Just, you just chug it, right? But with a marathon, you can't do that. 
right? You, you, you kind of have to like think about, hey, what is the, 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 the long-term plan here? Because it's not just 10 seconds, it's years. It's, well, in, in the case of a marathon, it's not years, it's gonna be hours. Um, but you know, when it comes to uh, life, right, we're, we're talking about years, decades, right? Um, you know, maybe like half a century, you know, maybe more, depending how, how old you are. You know, God willing, we don't know how long it's going to be, you know. Uh, by the way, uh, just, uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, I, I looked up this picture. I was just trying to find a picture of a marathon runner. This man is the first person, I believe, to run a marathon in under two hours. It's like, whoa, oh my goodness, like, how is that possible? And I'm like, do you really pace yourself if you run a marathon in under two hours? Like, man, that is lightning. But anyways, I think for most of us, for most of us normal people, we do kind of have to pace ourselves, right? And so thinking about that, that idea of if the Christian journey is indeed a marathon, because let's, let's face it, right? What is the goal here? Do you want to just follow Jesus for like a year or two? maybe three or four years? Or do you want to follow Jesus for a lifetime? This is the clarifying thought for me, is that I've realized for me that my goal has become, I want to follow Jesus for life, right? And what I realized is that, for one, something you have to realize is that, well, I'm just going to speak for myself, and I know this is some of your context. It may not be everyone, but you got to think, Asian American ministry is new. Think about that for a second. Asian American ministry is relatively new. Why? Because the the, the vast majority of Asians in America have not been here that long, right? Now, this is not true of everyone, right? Like, we we know the Chinese go back, you know, over 100 years in the the times of, like, building the railroads and, you know, expansions to the West. We know that, right? But at least for Koreans, like, a lot of the immigration... Uh, began in earnest in the 60s and 70s. That was true of my parents. You know, I, I, I was born in America in 77. Uh, my, my brother was born in 75. And I know that a lot of the Korean churches, this church included, um, you know, were probably started like in the 80s, you know. Um, they haven't been around that long. There haven't been that many people who have been, you know, living this permutation of Christianity in America. Why do I mention that? Because I think that when I look at some of the models that I see in ministry, many of them, many, if not the majority, have burnt out. So just to share with you, uh, I'm not saying this to brag. It's just like this is the grace of God. If you guys know my journey, you will know I'm not bragging. This is bragging on God. I have been at this church for 19 years. I've been here since 2004. And, and so, you know, at the end of this year, it will be 20 years in this ministry at one church. And, and I just went to a conference for uh, Korean United Methodist pastors, Korean, uh, sorry, uh, Korean American. Uh, I said Korean United Methodist pastors. Many of them are not serving in Korean churches anymore. Those numbers have dwindled every year. The number gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I have seen so many 
of my friends and colleagues either quit ministry or they're like, I can't serve in an Asian American context. Too much pressure. I'm going to go somewhere else. You know? Um, and I've got to say that whenever people hear how long I've been at this church, they all have the same reaction. They're like in disbelief. They're like, what? 19 years? And they like look at me like I'm a unicorn or like, like they, they just don't understand how that's possible. You know? And again, I'm not saying this to brag, friends, because a lot of you know my story, that I've had nervous breakdowns uh, over that 19 years. I've been in... Uh, uh, I've been in counseling twice, in therapy twice, at two different points. Uh, I had a period uh, about four years ago where I was having uh, these really terrible uh, panic attacks. Um, I, I have thought about and tried to quit ministry many times. <laughs> I've applied to different churches. I've interviewed at different churches. Why am I still here? It's the grace of God. However, I will say that part of God's grace to me has been learning how to live life as a minister and as a follower of Christ, as if this were a marathon, not a sprint. I've had to change the way that I do ministry because I got to tell you, the way that I did, did it when I was young, it was not with a lifetime in mind. It was very, very short-sighted. And so everything was just go, 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 just do everything possible. I can't tell you when I was a youth pastor in seminary, how many times I slept at the church. You know, like, like youth group kids would come in in the morning and they would find Pastor Steve all sleeping on the couch and that was a regular sight, right? They weren't surprised. They're like, oh, they weren't like, what are you doing here? They're like, oh, Pastor Steve is asleep on the couch again, right? Because I would be up till like two, three, four o'clock in the morning doing stuff at church. One time, I've shared this story before, so please indulge me <laughs> if you've heard this before, but one time... Uh, it was Christmas Eve, and uh, we were doing a retreat with other churches that I was helping plan. And on top of that, we had like a Christmas program, and um, I also wanted to make like little mix CDs. If you guys don't know what a CD is, it's what we used to use to play music before we put it on our phones. But I, I made these little mix CDs with Christian music for each and every person in, in the uh, youth group. And those things used to take like... Um, each one took like 20 minutes to burn. And so everyone in the youth group, I was up all night burning these CDs. And the next day I, I had a, a retreat to go to. And later that day, we had a Christmas day service. And my senior pastor comes in, it's like 5.30 in the morning. And he walks in and he sees me in the office still burning these CDs. He's like, oh, what are you doing here? And, and I was like, oh, you know, I was doing all this work, and I was doing this, you know, for the kids and all this stuff. And, and this is what he said. I'll never forget this. He's first-generation Korean pastor. He goes, good. He's not like, are you crazy, man? Like, what are you doing? Go home, right? He's like, good. And then without skipping a beat, he's like, do you want to preach this morning? And you know what I said? Without thinking, I said, yes, right? I seriously don't remember ever saying no to anything, you know, in early ministry, right? And I got to tell you, like, there are times, like, like I'd be, like, in the church parking lot, and, and I'm, like, like passed out, you know? I, I would get home and say, like, there was one time I was driving home, and I don't remember how I got home. I, like, fell asleep in the car. Like, like I kind of, like, I don't think I was fully asleep, but it's kind of that thing where you, like, zone out. And, and, and I remember I was, like, 
like just driving down the street that I've driven on many times before, and I just kind of like went like this, and the next thing I knew, I was in the seminary parking lot. I was parked, and I was like, oh my gosh, how did I get home? Like, it was just, I was like, what is going on? But this, I thought, was normal, right? Other pastors, they were all doing it too. Whenever we talk to each other, they're like, yeah, I don't get any sleep, or, you know, like, yeah, I work like 100 hours a week, and I thought this was good. I thought this was being faithful. No wonder, no wonder. Everything I just told you, that's so many pastors and ministers burn out. It's not just pastors and ministers. So many people in churches, and it's not just Asian American churches, but I got to tell you, that's my context. And if you guys have been in ministries like that, where there's so much pressure, and again, like no one's like doing it to be mean, and they're not doing it so that they run you into the ground, right? But it's just part of the culture, and they're just like, you know, they'll take whatever they can get. You know, sometimes they put kind of that subtle pressure, like, you know, hey, you know, sorry, I'm going to speak a little Korean, but they're like, oh, can you do children's ministry? And like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't have time. They're like, otake. How are we going to do it? That's what it means. How are we going to do it without you? Look at the poor kids. Look at them. They're so cute. They're so sweet. They need Jesus. And if you don't overextend yourself and become the Sunday school teacher, even though you don't feel like you're ready and you're already doing a hundred different things and you're a full-time student and you got a full-time job and you're taking like all of these other responsibilities at church, but if you don't do this on top of it, what are we going to do? Wouldn't God want you to do it? Right? This is the way that I think a lot of you know, churches would operate. Maybe not to that extent. But friends, no wonder, no wonder so many of us burn out, right? And so to me, again, I I want to figure out how do we do this for a lifetime? So why don't we look at the scripture, and I want to share with you just a few of the things that I've learned over time and some of the things that we can glean from the scripture. So it says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So what is he talking about this? He's talking about the resurrection. Right? So I haven't obtained the resurrection, right? <laughs> I haven't gone from dead to alive, right? Uh, and I'm not perfect. There was a sense in which there was a feeling that we were supposed to become like Christ. And he knows that he's not there. Paul knows that. But he says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And this is towards the end. So this is verse 16. We skip a few verses here. It says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So I want to read that again. I press on to make it my own. To make what your own? Christian perfection. To make resurrection your own, right? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So friends, the first point that I want to make in terms of how we can go the distance. By the way, every slide is going to have this picture. Do you guys know what movie that's from? Hercules, yeah. I'm on my way. I can go the distance. I don't know if that's how it goes, but (laughs) yeah, like like we want to go the distance, right? We want to serve Jesus for a lifetime. So how do we do that? So first point is remember whose you are. There's nothing left to prove. So friends, because of the cross, 
right? When Jesus died on the cross, he made this statement that sometimes I think people like use it too broadly, but I think there is great significance that in one of the gospels, he says, it is finished, right? And you've probably heard many, many pastors preach on what that means, but there is a sense in which, friends, that there's something that we used to do that we probably don't need to do anymore. And one of the things that I think that's about is this idea of what it says here. Jesus has made us his own. We are his people. You remember the people of Israel? They're called the chosen people. I don't know about you, but I am not Jewish by birth, by ethnicity, right? I become the people of God through what Jesus did. So now I belong to Jesus because of what he did on the cross. And because I've been able to claim that for my own. And because ultimately God has claimed you and me and he said, you are mine, right? You don't have to earn that anymore. You don't need to prove anything, right? And so all of the things that sometimes I think we do in the church, it's to prove something, right? When that pastor came in and saw me, you know, like 5.30 in the morning, I had been up all night doing church work. You know, it wasn't even that spiritual, but I was just, you know, burning the candle at both ends. And he's like, good. I was like, oh, like I feel good. That's part of the reason why I did all of this, was to prove to people that I was a good pastor, to prove to people I was a good Christian, Right? And, and maybe in some ways, I felt like I needed to prove it to God. I didn't really think about it, friends. But there was this sense of inadequacy within myself, right, that I didn't have that security. What if, what if you were to do nothing but just rest in Christ? You guys remember Mary and Martha, right? Martha's there in, in the kitchen banging the pots, pots and pans and just whipping up this feast, you know, cooking for, you know, 13 grown men <laughs> and who knows how many else from the neighborhood, right? And her sister and her brother, and she's just so busy. And there's Mary, little Mary, her younger sister, just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sinner, right? Unspiritual, lazy, just sitting there. Everyone else is, well, you know, her sister is preparing the church meal, right? Her sister is working overtime. Her sister is about to collapse. And Mary is just sitting with Jesus. You guys remember the story, right? Um, and and, and that, that, that really just incredible scene, I think one of the most incredible scenes, is when Martha goes up to Jesus and rebukes Jesus. She she says, Jesus, don't you care? Rabbi, don't you care that my sister is doing nothing? Don't you care that I'm sitting here breaking my butt, right? And like, tell my lazy sister to do something about it, right? And friends, it's interesting. She doesn't go after Mary. She goes after God, right? And, And ultimately, friends, we need to know that it has been finished. We need to know that there's nothing left to prove. We need to know that even if all you gave God that day were crackers instead of a full course meal, he'd be pleased with it if you spent that time with him, right? And so we gotta rethink uh, uh, how we live life based on this basic fact, but it is a life-changing fact. 
is a revolutionary fact that you belong to Jesus now. You don't have to prove anything, right? And so you can rest a little bit, right? And so friends, some of the things that I used to do because I think I was trying to prove to people how good of a, a pastor and a Christian I was, you know, at the expense of my health, right? I, I feel like I don't need to do that anymore. And so that's the first thing. Um, and, and so then it goes on to say, brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Um, and there's, there's more there, but let's stop right there. I do not consider that I've made it my own. What, what are we talking about? This idea of becoming like Jesus, of attaining the resurrection. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So the second point is, is it comes from those verses. Learn to let go of the past and keep moving forward. I think a lot of us, when we get burnt out, what is that about? Um, we use that idea of like, like you've kind of burned up, right? Like there's like too much energy, too much activity, you know, too much pressure, whatever. And then there's not enough to restore you. You don't get restored, you get used up, right? But I think there's also a sense in which we talk about the idea, and Jesus talks about this, right? The idea of being overburdened. You have too much, and it's weighing you down, and before you know it, you just, you crumble under the weight of that. You can't keep going, right? And so, friends, is there anyone here? I'm not going to make you guys raise your hands, but I'm going to raise my hand. Is there anyone here who's a procrastinator? Just like there's times where, like, oh, okay, you're either a procrastinator, you put things off, or it just takes you forever to do the things that you know you're supposed to do. It just takes so long, right? Yeah, it, like, like, it's like there's a direct route, like, just do it. Just start, just pick up the phone, just open up the computer and start typing, right? It's, it's a direct, just open up, you know, Gmail and type the email. It, it's, it's so easy, but it's like you just go in circles, right? You're like the Israelites wandering in the desert, right? And it takes you like, you know, not 40 years, but way longer. You know, something that takes five minutes takes an hour, maybe takes two weeks, right? Is anyone like that? Anyone? Am, am I the only one? Some of you guys? Okay. Okay, so I think this is what's going on. You're overburdened. You're like, thanks, Pastor Steve. No, seriously, think about it for a second. Um, this idea that there's something weighing you down. I know this is so basic, friends, but think about it for a second, right? If you didn't have something weighing you down, then it would be very easy to just go, right, to do the thing. I think we have all experienced that before. Haven't you? Has there been a time in your life, for those of you who procrastinate, those of you who are very slow to do the things you're supposed to do, has there been a time where you're just like, I don't know, your mom or dad says, pick something up, and you're like, and you just pick it up, right? But there's been times where you're like, I should pick that up, and you don't. You just wander, <laughs> right? You're on your phone, right? Why don't you just pick it up? What's happening? Something is slowing you down. Something is holding you back. And if you were to get rid of that, you wouldn't be slowed down, right? And so what I think uh, Paul says is this idea that we need to forget what lies behind, right? Forget what lies behind. Our past, so many things that we hold on to that burden us, those things are holding us back, right? Right? 
And learning how to let go of those things is going to be a big part of your spiritual life, right? I really think that um, for spirituality, that it's like 90% releasing. 90% of spirituality is letting go. Because the rest of it kind of takes care of itself once you do that, right? And in many ways, what is happening, friends? When you are holding on to something, it is your attempt to be God. You guys ever hear that phrase, which has kind of become a cliche, but I think it's very, very helpful if you can live this. Let go, and what? Let go, and? Someone say it louder. Let go, and? Let? <laughs> okay, maybe you've never heard it. <laughs> let go and let God. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard anyone say that? Let go and let God, right? Because the idea is that when you are holding on to something, then God can't help you, right? Because you've decided you're going to figure this out. What a lot of us do is actually like, I think it's like insane, right? It's not sane. It's not like, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense. What we try to do is we replay past things and, and we think about all of the things that went wrong, right? And we replay it, like sometimes in slow motion. We just ruminate it over it in our mind. We went over this last week, this idea of rumination. It's like a cow chewing on grass just over and over, right? And so, friends, so much of this spiritual task is going to be about learning to let go of those things because what your mind is trying to do, whether you know it or not, it's trying to control. It's trying to be God. It wants a different outcome. It will never get it. That's why it's insane, right? It will never get that different outcome. You can replay that thing a billion times, and it won't change. But what it will do is it'll slow you down. Why? Because your energy is spent doing that. You ever have someone that, like, you want to love, but you want to forgive, but you can't? Why? Because you're thinking about the past. You think about the stuff that you did. You're thinking about the stuff they did. So you can't do it, right? You can't be kind to them. It's gunking up the system, right? So, so much of spirituality is letting go so you can move on, right? Guys, brothers and sisters, we have enough stuff going on. Why are we carrying our whole past around with us? It's like this 5,000-ton weight that you're carrying around every day. Let it go. Let it go. Learn to do that in prayer. We're going to be going over um, throughout the school year how we can do that. Because I already told you, 90% of spirituality is letting go. So if you don't know how to do it yet, just know that, tag it as something that you know you need to work on because it's so important so that you can move forward, right? So forget what, what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. So then a lot of the Christian journey is going to be about this forward movement, right? About learning to keep moving forward despite whatever happened in the past. It is not uh, about perfection. It is about movement, right? And so, yes, there are times where we need to be still to let go, and then we need to move forward, right? Whatever it is. You don't have to do it perfectly, right? There are some people in the... the I, I think this was me. I didn't read the Bible because I didn't know how to do it perfectly, Right? There are times where I'm like, well, I don't fully understand it. I feel like I'm not doing it right. I feel like I'm not getting anything out of it. So I didn't do it. 
And I got to tell you, one of the most revolutionary things for me in learning to read the Bible was I just read it. No pressure, no expectation. I don't need to understand it, right? If it goes in one ear, out the other ear, so what? At least I did it. And it's movement forward. And I got to tell you, if you keep doing that over time, you will get something out of it. God will teach you, right? But you're not going to get anything out of it if you never open up the Bible, if you ever never try to read it, if you never try to listen to it. I've talked about audio Bibles before. That's most of what I do now, right? But if we never try, if we never do anything to move forward, right, you're going to get stuck, right? Um, so third thing is in verse 4, it says... Um, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So this idea that um, we are supposed to keep our eyes on the prize, I know that's a cliche as well, but the, eye, the, the prize is maybe not what you think, right? It, it actually says the prize is what? Is it heaven? It's hard to keep your eyes on heaven. I, I'll just be honest. Because it's after you die, right? So it's really, really hard to keep your eyes on heaven. And I'm not saying that thinking about heaven can't be a good spiritual practice. But I think that what, what it says here is slightly different. If you guys don't believe me, reread that. I press on towards the goal for what? For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So th- this is what it is. The upward call in Christ Jesus. This is the prize. What is that? This is becoming more like Christ. This is living the life that God wants you to. It's an upward call, right? It it, it is what God desires for you. And we have to understand that the Christian life is supposed to be a good life, a joyous life, a life filled with love. We're not supposed to just stay the way that we are. I think one of the mistakes that a lot of modern Christianity makes is that we just think that staying where we are is enough. You share this all the time. People are like, you're enough, you're enough. Hey, love yourself exactly as you are. And you might have noticed that we say that every Sunday. We say God loves you exactly as you are. But you probably noticed that we added a little extra. But he loves you enough not to keep you there, not to leave you there, right? God loves you exactly as you are, true, right? That is the grace of Jesus. That is the love of Christ. It's incredible. But he loves you enough not to leave you there. Because many of us, friends, we are not experiencing the freedom of Christ. We are not experiencing the full love of Christ. We're not experiencing the joy of Christ fully, right? We are burdened. We are stressed. We are anxious. And so we have to keep our eyes on this idea that God wants better for us, right? That he's calling you upward. He's calling you to be more like him, right? And to keep your eyes on this idea. I know it sounds so strange, but the idea that God desires better for you. God wants a better life for you. God wants more joy, more love, right? I think I used to hear, you know, whether people told me this or this is just my understanding of Christianity, is, hey, it's not about what you get out of it. Okay, I I agree with that. Primarily, it's not about what you get out of it. But it's this idea that, hey, you just serve God. You just put your head down, right? And you just grind, grind, grind. And if you get nothing out of it, well, that's all you deserve. So you don't deserve anything, right? Okay, 
technically. That could be true, right? God doesn't owe you anything. True. We are servants. In fact, the word they use in Scripture is not servant. We, we change the word in our Bibles because it gets misunderstood. But the word is actually slave. We're slaves of Christ. We're slaves of God. But oftentimes in the Bible, they change it to something like bondservant because it's not the kind of inhumane slavery. Well, the, the metaphor is not the inhumane slavery that we had in America with black folks where we treated them like animals. It's not like that. Right? But there was a sense in which we're not really supposed to have a choice anymore. We belong to God and we serve God, right? At the same time, look at how much, like, like just, just imagine like, like Paul, right? In this book, Philippians, he's in chains for Jesus, right? He's like, this is the extent that I will go for God. I'm in chains. And there's no <laughs> book of the Bible that I know that uses the word rejoice more than Philippians. He's in chains for the gospel. And he's like, rejoice. I will say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. 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 Do you think he's saying that like this? Rejoice. Rejoice. Just put your head down. Just serve God. It's joyless. It's terrible. It stinks. But just do it because you're a slave. No, that's not what God wants for us, right? He wants freedom. He wants joy. He, he wants you to enjoy the life you have in him. And every day, well, I mean, you know, I know this Christian journey, it takes time. But over time, you get better. I think you're supposed to experience more joy and peace and love. And, and, and the character of Christ should be shining from your life. This is the upward call. Keep your eyes on that. Remember what you are called to. You are called to be like Jesus and to join the life of Jesus. And that also involves the fruits of the Spirit. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Um, last thing, last point. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So again, keep your eyes on the prize, but now you get to see it in people. It's not just an abstract thing, but you need people who model for you how to live in Christ, right? And that's one of the things that I learned to do. When I saw myself burning out, and I was like, okay, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to sustain myself. And so I didn't have a lot of models, I'll be honest, right? Because I'm, well, I was the pastor. <laughs> so there weren't a lot of people in, in, in church that I felt like I could look to, at least at first. But I just started reading like, like about a, a lot of the, the, the different people that I respected, uh, these people who had Christ-like character, the people who did have the joy and peace and you know, all the fruit of the Spirit emanating from their life, and I started learning from them, right? Um, I, I know I talk about Dallas Willard a lot, but I learned from Dallas Willard. I'll be honest, I, I met Dallas Willard once when I was in college. This was well before I read a single book of his. Uh, back then, I actually had a bunch of his books on my shelf just because it made me feel more spiritual, but I never read them. 
<laughs> I didn't read them until my burnout in ministry. But I met him once. It was like 1995. I was uh, 96. I, I, I was uh, in college, and it was right before his book, uh, The Divine Conspiracy, which is my favorite book of all time. It was before it came out. And that's what really kind of put him on the map. But he was at this conference with uh, actually one of, his, uh, one of the people that um, was technically his pastor, but in many ways he mentored this guy, Richard Foster. And at the time, I knew Richard Foster. I didn't know Dallas Willard. Richard Foster had a book called Celebration of Discipline. Um, and I brought my book, and I wanted Richard Foster to sign it. They're both at this conference. And afterwards, you could go up and talk to them. And I was waiting in a line. And everyone's waiting in line to meet Richard Foster, right? And Dallas Willard is just sitting there, and he's going like this. He's got his hands behind his back, right? And he just looks at peace, you know? And so I go up to Richard Foster. He signs my book. He gives me a hug. It's really great. And I look over at, at Dallas Willard, and I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> I didn't know who he was. But I remember during the message, like, like what he shared, or, or during the conference, it was so deep. It was just so good. I just had never heard of him. I didn't have anything for him to sign. But I was like, oh, th you know, thank you so much for, you know, what you shared. He's like, yeah, no, no problem, you know? And that was it. <laughs> that was me meeting Dallas Willard. Um, I won't meet Dallas Willard again until heaven. Uh, he, he's gone to be with the Lord. Um, but I remember, like, his way of being, like, that kind of, like, you know, here's this guy that he has mentored, right? And he's getting all the accolades. All the people are lining up to meet him. And you look over at Dallas Willard, and you wouldn't know the difference. He could be having the best day of his life. He could be having the most peaceful day of his life. It could be the worst day of his life, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I'm like, there's something about this guy. There's a Christ-like character that I want to know more about. So I started reading a lot of his books. I started listening to, like, you know, I would get, like, some of his conferences uh, in audiobook form, and I just started learning, right? And I actually found out that um, the pastor at our church, uh, Reverend Hyunjun Cho, was somebody who had a very, very deep spirituality. And so I started learning from Reverend Cho as well. He started teaching me about mystics and teaching me about prayer and contemplative prayer and things like that, right? And so friends, we can learn from people who have come before us, right? You don't need to do this alone, right? And friends, just this idea that the goal is to go the distance, right? But why do so many of us not? There, there's a, a, a scripture that um, has become one of my favorite scriptures. <laughs> um, this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 13. So I have to warn you, there's something in this that it's like, I, I like this, this scripture because it's like, you ever see like a movie where it has a twist ending, right? This, this, this scripture has a twist ending. Okay, so just read it with me. Don't read ahead, right? Uh, even though you may know the ending. It says, the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. This is what we think. If we die with Jesus, if we sacrifice, right, we will live with him. Amen. It's good, right? Good theology. Nothing wrong with that, right? And then verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Again, the, the, everything makes sense, right? If you endure, you're going to reign with Christ. Great. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Like, whoa, 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 Pastor Steve, it was like so positive, right? But hey, if you endure, right, you're gonna endure with him, right? If, if you die with him, you're gonna live with him, right? Like, we get that, but if you deny Jesus, then Jesus will also deny us, 
You're like, oh, but Pastor Steve, like, weren't you talking about all this grace? But friends, I think this is what it means. You have a choice. He's not going to make you follow, right? You do belong to him, but you have a choice. So if you want to deny him, he's going to let you deny him, right? That's what, what I read in that, that passage. So you all know people who have decided to stop following Jesus. And Jesus, in his grace, will say, okay. Because maybe the way that you were following before, or if you continue to follow when you don't want to, it's not going to be in love, right? It's going to be out of sense of duty. It's going to be this dead thing, right? And Jesus doesn't want that either. So you have a choice. You don't have to keep following. If you deny him, he will deny you also, right? But then verse 13. Oh, verse 13. If we are faithless, I can't read this without getting emotional. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. You know how many times I've been faithless over 19 years? You may not know how many times I've failed. Do you know how many times I haven't been able to live up to the promises I've made to God? I can't count them. But even when I am faithless, he is faithful. Why? Why? Because I belong to him now. He can't deny himself, right? He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We belong to God now. So God will never let us down. It's your choice, though, friends. You don't need to keep going. But if you keep going, he will hold on to you. He, he will grab onto you. He will make sure that he remains faithful. All he asks is one thing. And, 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 and I want to share that in a story that I heard. I, I've come to find out that this is more like a folk story. It maybe didn't happen, but I think it's a very powerful story. So I'll just share it the way that I was told it. Um, there was a, a, a woman living in Poland uh, whose um, son was learning how to play piano, but he just was like not very motivated. But she, she heard that Ignacy Paderewski, who's this great uh, Polish composer and concert pianist, was coming to play one night only in her town. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to take my son to see the great ma master Paderewski play, and maybe it'll like, inspire him to be a better pianist. Right? And so they're there in this big concert hall, and they're waiting for things to get started. And uh, you, you know, Paderewski hasn't come out, but there's a big uh, grand piano out in, in the middle of the stage, right, which is front and center. And so this young boy is just sitting there ready, waiting for the concert to start, and he's like super restless. He's just kind of like shifting around, and his mom is talking to her friend, and she's not paying attention. So he's like, oh, hey, that piano's like much bigger than the one at my house. Like, let's get a closer look. So he goes on stage, climbs on stage, no one sees him, right? He goes up to the piano, and then he starts playing the only song that he knows by heart. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. And after a while, because, you know, the sound carries in this concert hall, right, people start noticing. They start turning their heads. They start hushing their conversations. And there's this little boy on this huge, you know, grand piano, just uh, like, I mean, who knows how expensive this thing is, right? And he's playing. Dun, 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 dun. 
dun, 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 dun. And then people start like saying things. Like he can kind of hear people like, hey, whose kid is that? Get him off the stage. But the kid is like, dun, 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 dun. But it starts getting louder, right? And, and, and now you can see people starting to like climb on stage because they're going to go remove this kid from the grand piano. And he starts hesitating. It starts like wavering. He starts hitting wrong notes because he's like, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should stop. But then he feels behind him two arms wrap around him. And one arm goes to the left and one arm goes to the right. And with the left hand, someone starts playing notes. And with the right other notes. And he hears in his ear someone say, don't stop. Keep playing. And who it is? It's Ignacy Paderewski, the master. And he starts playing with this left hand a, a, a bass melody to go with uh, what, what the, the kid is playing. So he starts playing the bass, and then he starts playing a counter melody with his right. And so this simple song that the kid is just tapping out on the keys, Dun, 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 that becomes something beautiful and something like a masterpiece that no one has ever heard. And the whole time, the kid, his confidence starts growing, and Paderewski keeps saying over and over in his ears, don't stop, keep going. Friends, that's what I want to say to you. At times, you feel like that kid. You're hitting all the wrong notes. And you're like, maybe I shouldn't even be here. And people, you, you kind of feel like the judgment of other people. What are you doing? Why are you serving at church? Who do you think you are? You're going to be a small group leader? You? <laughs> That's rich. You think this. You see this judgment, right? And there's part of you that's like, oh, maybe I should stop playing. And, and, and the more you hear that judgment, the more you're, you're, you're starting to hit the wrong notes. But this is what I've learned, friends. This is what I've learned. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Don't quit. Keep going. That's all God is asking of you. Don't stop. Keep going in Christ. And God will come alongside you. Yes, there are some things we can learn. You know, maybe don't drag your past around. Don't expect to be perfect. Don't do it for other people, right? All these different things we talked about, all those things are important. But this idea that you belong to God now, he's not going to let you down. Don't stop. Keep going. Adam, can you come up? Friends, let's just take a moment and just receive this. I'm willing to bet that there's some people here who have been feeling burnt out. You feel like the little kid getting yelled at on the piano, the little kid who's starting to play all the wrong notes. And you're like, maybe it's just simpler if I just stop following Christ, just stop going to church, just kind of sleep in on Sunday mornings, and <laughs> not go to small group, or stop serving. Friends, maybe we need to find different ways of serving Christ so that we can run this race for a long time, so it's not just a sprint. But we can serve Jesus for a lifetime. Maybe you have to adjust the way that you think about what it means to be faithful. 
But friends, let's just take a moment to remember what we are being called to. The joy, the freedom, the love, the purpose. I'll tell you, friends, right now, maybe the, the, the one reason why I'm still doing this is because I know it's worth it. There's nothing I would rather spend my life doing. What about you? Can you hear the master's voice whispering in your ear? Don't stop. Keep going. It's worth it. I will make your life beautiful if you just don't stop playing. You might play it wrongly. You might make mistakes. You might stumble. But I won't stop working in your life. I won't stop being faithful. Friends, if you need to hear that, just receive those words. Don't stop. Keep going. Because I will never stop being faithful to you. Precious God, we thank you, Lord, for this message that we are imperfect people. God, we don't follow you perfectly, and uh, many of us, we get tired and discouraged, Lord. Sometimes we get weighed down by the many things that we're carrying around. Lord, teach us, Lord, how to run this race for a lifetime. And not just a lifetime, better yet, for an eternity, because that is what you have waiting for us, God. It is absolutely worth it. There is nothing worth more. And thank you, God, for making beautiful things out of our messes, out of our imperfections, out of our unfaithfulness, God, that you bring about faith. Thank you, Lord. And may you strengthen and be with and bless each and every person who still labors for your kingdom. If anyone who has stopped running this race, may they decide to, to, to keep going, to keep following you, to pick up their cross again and to not stop ever, never, ever quit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.